Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. And on this podcast, we like to strip everything bare. We like to get rid of all the bad teachings that we've had about marriage and sex and get back to what Jesus really intended. My daughter, Rebecca, is joining me today. Hello. And we are three weeks away from the launch of our new book, The Great Sex Rescue. We actually have copies now. We so. do. We have the physical copies. Yes. And it's so much fun to be able to actually feel this and know it's a real book. It is. And every week leading up to the release, we are looking at one of the faulty teachings that we found when we looked into the evangelical bestsellers and when we surveyed 20,000 women, we identified certain key beliefs that really wreck sex and marriage for women. And this week, we want to talk about... The obligation sex message. Yes, that women are obligated to have sex when their husband wants it. And for our new research segment, we're going to get right to the research to start yep. this podcast. When we surveyed women, what we found is that 43% of women report being taught the obligation sex message before they were married. Yeah. So this really impacted women as they go into marriage. 43% of women report being taught this in church or in their family that a wife is obligated to give her husband sex. Yeah, and 39% of women agree that they believed mm -hmm. it before they were married. So the vast well. majority who were taught it also Yeah, only 4% who were mm -hmm. taught reported not believing. Now, interestingly, about half that number currently believe it mm -hmm. and currently report being taught it, but this is a big part of what women report being taught before they were married. Yeah. And it has really negative repercussions on our sex life. <laughs> we want to start by just reading to you some of the messages that women have been given, and men really, that, that couples are given about sex in marriage. The reason we say women a lot of the time is because women are primarily the ones reading these books. Yeah, like when we when we interviewed a lot of women, they said, you know, my husband didn't even know I thought this. Yeah, and we'll talk about that later. But mm -hmm. just so you know, like these books are written to couples, but they're primarily read by women, and it doesn't help matters mm -hmm. much. So here's just one in the act of marriage. Author Tim LaHaye said, both partners are forbidden to refuse the meeting of their mate's sexual needs. And we'll talk for a minute about what sexual needs means. And then we have an every man's battle, of course, uh, because every single podcast says something from every man's battle. <laughs> just a little bit of all of these things. Anyway, every man's battle says, though you know you should pray for him and fulfill him sexually, sometimes you won't want to. Talk to each other openly and honestly. Then do the right thing instructing women. Yeah, and in and, and other places, they define doing the right thing as giving him release. Yeah, giving Give him, him release. release. His needs, her needs. It does wonders for a wife to grasp just how special a man finds sex. He isn't pawing and grabbing at her because he has turned into a lusting monster. He is pawing and grabbing because he needs something very badly. Many men tell me that they wish their sex drive weren't so strong. As one 32-year-old executive put it, I feel like a fool, like I'm begging her or even raping her, but I can't help it. I need to make love. Mm -hmm. We have a really strong objection yeah. To the fact that this guy thinks sex feels like rape. No, no. Making love feels like he's raping her. And the author did not comment on No, that. he makes no comment. It's just, oh, the poor man has to rape his wife because she won't give it to him otherwise. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Power of a praying wife. The Bible is crystal clear. Unless we're fasting and praying for weeks at a time or are experiencing physical infirmity or separation, there is no excuse not to engage in it regularly. And then sheet music. I'll read two different 
quotes that are a page apart from each other in the book. Mm -hmm. When you agreed to marry this man or this woman, you put yourself in a position to meet a need in his or her life that no other person can legitimately meet, sexual fulfillment. I'm blunt with premarital couples. If you're not willing to commit yourself to having sex with this person two to three times a week for the rest of your life, don't get married. Certainly pregnancy and sickness and a few other unforeseen problems will alter this, but in general, to get married is to commit to a regular time of sexual intimacy. I mean, there's certain parts of that that yeah. are true, and we'll we'll, we'll talk and about we'll talk that about in that. a minute. Yeah. But the problem is the emphasis on this, and here's how he he emphasizes it in the next page. This means that there may be times when you have sex out of mercy, obligation, or commitment without any real desire. Yes, it may feel forced. It might feel planned, and you may have to fight to stop yourself from just shoving your partner away and saying, enough already. But the root issue is this, you're acting out of love, you're honoring your commitment, and that's a wonderful thing to do. So when we were doing our survey, we asked ourselves, we wanted to ask women, is what Kevin Lehman said true? Yes, is is having sex where you are feeling forced and just like you don't want to do this and you just want to shove them away and say, enough already, is that a wonderful thing to do? Does it lead to good outcomes in marriage? And so we measured it. We asked women to agree, like strongly to strongly disagree with, I engage in sex with my husband only because I feel I have to. Mm -hmm. So if women agreed with that, here's Mm -hmm. the results. So they are almost 19 times more likely to say when it comes to sex, I could take it or leave it. Yeah. They are twice as likely, almost twice as likely to have experienced primary sexual pain or vaginismus. And that's, that's a really important finding. Sexual pain is a huge issue among Christian women. We suffer from it at twice the rate of the general population. And this message is one of the primary reasons for it, is yeah, this idea that research, you, can't, yeah. you can't say no. And also, these women are 3.7 times less likely to frequently orgasm during sex. Mm-hmm. And, so. and when it comes to marriage, they're three times um, more likely to say they don't feel their husband really hears them. <laughs> And they're three times less likely to feel comfortable bringing up difficult conversations with their husbands, along with a ton of other. We're, we're, yeah. we're cherry picking here. So this is not a good thing. No, and obviously there is the question of, well, do they only have sex because they feel they have to because he hasn't ever given her a reason to enjoy sex? Mm-hmm. And that might be it. But the problem is then you read Lehman's book because, you know, your sex life is horrible, or you read Act of Marriage, or you read Every Man's Battle, mm-hmm. and you get the message that it doesn't matter what your experience is. You promised this, and so if you don't want to be a horrible, terrible person, you you have to give it out and it has nothing to do with whether or not you enjoy it. It has nothing to do about whether or not he does anything to make it feel good. This is your duty. This is what you signed up for and you don't get to complain now. Yeah. That's what they're told. And duty sex is just doesn't work for women. Now, we do believe that sex is an important part of marriage. Yep. Okay. We absolutely do believe that. And so we're not trying to say that hey, you know what? If you don't feel like having sex, just don't even worry about it. No. (laughs) You know, I've got a course called Boost Your Libido. This book, The Great Sex Rescue, is all about how to rescue sex so that it becomes something that's wonderful in your marriage. But we do need to understand that the do not deprive verses in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5 do not mean do not refuse. No, exactly. We say this in the book. We've said this on the blog too. If your kid comes up to you at 4.30 p.m. and says, Mommy, I want Cheetos, and you say no, are you depriving him of food? No. No, No, you're not. And our need is not for sexual release or for one-sided intercourse. Our need is for a sexual relationship in marriage, which is mutual, intimate, and pleasurable. Yeah, you do not have a need to objectify and use one person for the rest of your life. There's Mm -hmm. no need to ever objectify someone. And that Mm -hmm. is the kind of sex that these books often portray. Yeah, sex without intimacy 
sex where you're saying I can just get to use you and you have no right to say no that is not biblical sex no okay biblical sex is a deep knowing it is not an owing (laughs) biblical sex says your needs matter and the obligation sex message says the opposite it says your needs do not matter (laughs) it says only one person's needs matter and if they feel they have a need for sex you're not allowed to refuse no matter what is going on now sometimes people give caveats like if you're sick or something or if you're pregnant i love how how kevin lehman says and obviously if you're pregnant you might not be able to have sex but then elsewhere in his book he says if you're pregnant you should give him a hand job or oral yeah. sex well because that's that's still fulfilling her commitment she can't have sex so she has to make sure that he still right. gets topped up it's disgusting so, it's absolutely disgusting. yeah and that is just not the biblical view of sex the biblical view of sex is not just about ejaculation it is about a mutual passionate pleasurable intimate knowing of two people and that's what is key in your marriage. This idea that sex is a need is problematic. Yeah, I think when we talk about this being a need, what we do is we elevate it though above all other needs. We have a lot of needs that aren't physical needs, right? We have Mm -hmm. a need for friendship. It's not a physical need in the same way. And we have a need for beauty, you know? That actually is a a need that psychologically has been found, right? Mm -hmm. We have a need to appreciate beautiful things. We're not gonna die if we're surrounded by ugly things. Yeah. Right? So that's what we're talking about here. When we talk about a sexual need, you're not going to die from lack of sex. No No one shows up at the coroner's office and says, he didn't get laid soon enough. Like, that's (laughs) not what they say. Okay? This is not a physical need in the same way. So when we talk about it in this way, though, what we say is you are a bad person for not meeting his need because you're too tired or because you're postpartum or because you don't feel loved. And if you just met his needs and you'd be a good person, but it doesn't ever consider the needs of the person you're asking to actually put out, even if she doesn't want to. Yeah. And like love and respect says, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Yeah. And that is the theme that we get in our evangelical resources, which says that men have this need that women will never, ever, ever understand. Yeah. And so because you are unable to understand it, then no matter what you are going through, we assume that he has it far worse. Yeah. And so what happens is there's all these books that sound very mutual. Mm-hmm. You know, like Kevin Lehman's book talks about how women should enjoy sex. It sounds very mutual, but then they also portray this idea of sex where he always needs it. And women, you just can't possibly understand how much it affects him when you don't have sex. So is it actually mutual? Mm-hmm. When he then gives the obligation sex message, he says, I'm really firm on couples, both men and women. You have to have sex two to three times a week or else you're just going to have a horrible marriage. Is he really being firm to the men? Because he believes that this is what mm-hmm. men like. If we tell two people, one of whom hates vegetables, one of whom loves vegetables, now I'm not going to be nice on both of you. You both have to eat your vegetables. Is that actually an equal message? Right. No, it's not. And of course, one of the other huge findings in our book, and we go into this in the libido section, is that frequency is not the problem. Okay, When, when you have two emotionally healthy people to physically healthy people in a healthy marriage where she orgasms, then they're going to have sex relatively frequently. Yeah. Like the chance of them having sex rarely or never is like, not, it doesn't doesn't register. So when we focus on telling women you have to have sex, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah. We're focusing on the behavior, not the reason, Mm -hmm. right? Why does she stop having sex? Yeah. Why does she not want to have sex as much as he does? Mm -hmm. Maybe he wants sex too much. Yeah. That is a thing. Yeah. Like if you (laughs) want sex multiple times a day, 
Yeah. Get a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's and, and I'm not trying to shame you for having a high sex drive. There's nothing wrong with having a high sex drive, but there is something wrong with being sexually gluttonous. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about sex in this way where he'll always have this insatiable need, and this goes for women too. If you are someone who mm-hmm. is constantly being overwhelmed with your desire for sex and your need for sex and is overcoming other parts of your life and you're wanting it all of the time and not able to control yourself, mm-hmm. that's not healthy. And there's a difference between a need and a drive. Yeah. You know, we're talking about sex as a need. We really should see it as a drive. Yes. We all have a sex drive. We or all urges. Have a, yeah, or urges. We all, have, we all have urges that need to be fulfilled. But let's remember that sex is not all that we are as a couple. Yeah. And what 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5 says is that sex is supposed to be something which is completely mutual. The whole do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time that you maybe devote yourselves to prayer. And it says that, you know, the wife's body does not belong to her, but to the husband. The husband's body does not belong to her. Right. Her it does alone. still belong to her, yes. according to Paul. It does not yes. belong to her alone, but, but also, also to the husband. husband. But the husband's body also belongs to the wife. As well as, as to well him. As well as to him. And what we're missing is how radical that was. Yeah. Because in Roman times, when that was written, the husband had absolute authority over the wife. Mm-hmm. He could murder her if he wanted to. Yeah. He had complete authority over her body. And yet Paul says she has authority over his as well like yeah. the whole point of this passage is mutuality and because that is what sex is supposed to be and biblically sex is portrayed as something which is mutually pleasurable and which both want and so when we turn it into an obligation for one and an entitlement for one we actually change the very nature of sex and that's a big problem. We want to share a success story with you. One of our commenters, she's been commenting on the blog for quite a while. She started following us when she was still single but engaged. Um, she's now married. She got married, I think it was in her early 40s. So, yeah, I think so. And she's got some chronic health issues. And so going into marriage, she was very nervous about what sex was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Because she she was thinking, you know, what if I'm just not able to have sex that often because of my pain? Mm-hmm. And so they they hashed this out beforehand. Here's the comment that we got from Anon, who, which obviously is not her real name, but here we go. As an older, newly married couple, and with some health issues in the equation too, we went into marriage knowing that we were likely to have some physical limitations on how often we had sex. And we agreed from the start that either of us has total freedom to say if we just want to cuddle or go straight to sleep instead of doing something more energetic. We've only chosen the straight to sleep option about three nights in the last six months. And I think it's largely due to having the freedom to communicate what we want. So nights when we're both quite tired, we'll often say, well, let's just see how far we get and surprise ourselves. I reckon the freedom to say, sorry, I'm suddenly really tired. Can we sleep now without the other person taking it as rejection has been one of the most beneficial things in our sex life because it takes all the pressure away. And that's something we saw again and again in our focus groups. When I was talking to all these women um, for the book who said they wanted to talk about what one big mindset shift changed everything for them with Mm -hmm. sex, most of them, it was the obligation sex message. Mm -hmm. One woman whose story we put in the book who we call Sandra, um, in particular, she had severe vaginismus for years, would kind of clench her teeth and just get through it. And she felt so guilty about sex, but she felt she had to do it. She was trapped between, you know, a rock and a hard place where she had internalized the whole good girls don't enjoy sex, but good girls also put out a lot, mm-hmm. right? There was the two things. And after years, like I think close to two decades of painful, dissatisfying sex for her, she sat down with her husband and they talked about it and she just talked about how she was just so scared that if she didn't have sex, she wouldn't be meeting his needs or he'd be disappointed in her or she'd be a bad wife or he'd watch pornography or she wouldn't be holding up her end of the bargain. And he was just horrified. <laughs> he was like, I don't want you to have 
have sex out of fear. I don't want me coming up mean like, hey, baby, let's have some fun to be like a threat to you. But she was feeling it that way. Because anytime mm-hmm. he said any interest in her, anytime he showed any interest, any sort of sexual desire at all, it was this, the clock is ticking. I now need to fulfill this within 12 hours, mm-hmm. you know? And so when he heard that she was thinking this, he was just so horrified and said, no, please say no. <laughs> in fact, you should say no if you don't want to try something new. If I'm asking for sex and you're just not in the mood, that's totally fine. Like, I don't want you to have sex with me when you don't want to have sex with me. She said that when she heard that and then over the next couple of weeks and months as he proved it to her by stopping sex in the middle of it when he could tell she wasn't into it, you know, mm-hmm. by asking her, do you want to try this or is this not okay for you and then also asking when they were trying things that were new in the middle of trying it like is this still okay like checking in because this was years in the making that they Mm -hmm. had to undo she said that her body physically changed Mm -hmm. and she was able to actually enjoy sex and it stopped being so painful and she started actually feeling things again yeah now we do need to say she had also been seeing a public physiotherapist yeah (laughs) which we do recommend in case of vaginismus but she said that for for her the huge transformation Mm -hmm. was when the the pelvic floor physiotherapy was mixed with this idea that she doesn't ever have to have sex Mm -hmm. she never has to have sex she gets to have sex yeah when she wants to yeah you know and that's the gift of sex and marriage is that this is now open to the couple Mm -hmm. but she's not forced through the door yeah And when you tell a woman that she has to have sex, that has very similar outcomes on her rate of sexual pain as trauma does, Mm -hmm. as prior abuse. And the reason is because the obligation sex message and trauma say the same thing. They say, your needs don't matter. I have the right to use you however I want. And that's why... Husbands like Sandra's husband who come in and don't only say with their words, oh, well, I want you to only have sex when you enjoy it, or I want you to consent to this, and I care about you, but who prove it mm-hmm. by then stopping sex and still giving her a back rub, mm-hmm. you know, or stopping sex and not moping, mm-hmm. you know, or saying, no, you know what? I'm not, I, I'm actually not in the mood tonight. So can we have a rain check? You know, like actually showing with their actions, not only I don't want you to feel obligated, but I still want to get everything that I want out of this. Yeah. But not only that, I don't want you to feel obligated. And so I am willing to not only not get everything that I want, but to change what I want to be what is healthy for both of us. Yep. And that's the key. So we are going to bring Andrew Bauman on now, mm-hmm. the author of The Sexually Healthy Man, and he's going to answer a reader question for us. All right, I have Andrew Bauman joining us now. Hello, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, people loved your podcast last time. So oh, why, don't, why don't you explain who you are? You yes, so I am uh, an author and a therapist, talking a lot about sexuality, a lot about uh, healthy male sexuality, also the kind of the intersections of domestic violence, uh, pornography. That's kind of my, my areas of expertise. Yeah. I run the Christian Counseling Center, for sexual health and trauma. Right. And you are licensed. Yes. I do want to, I do want to stress I that. Am. You are a licensed counselor. <laughs> and you recently right. wrote a book called The Sexually Healthy Man, which we read yes. an excerpt of that. It was wonderful. People love that. Oh, good. Thank so you. So I thought I would bring you on for a Valentine's Day question. So oh, good. Here we are. I had a number of people send me an article that they found a little bit disturbing. And their question was, <laughs> Do I owe my husband sex on Valentine's Day? So I want to read to you something and then I'll let you respond. This was an article on the blog, The XY Code back in January. 
And what the author who is a man is explaining is that on his blog for husbands, he told the guys that they needed to man up and be her Valentine. There's no excuse for a man ignoring Valentine's mm -hmm. day and he needs to buy her a present, a card, whatever flowers. Mm. But then he says this, that said, one of the most common complaints I hear from husbands about Valentine's Day is the lack of sex. It's not that sex is all they care about, but men see sex as an integral part of married love. If a wife is unwilling to have sex with her guy on a day that's all about love and romance, that sends a message. Just as he needs to do Valentine's Day for you, you need to do Valentine's sex for him. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I can tell a man wrote that, sadly. And yet to me, it feels like such a shallow view of sex. Yeah. Like this is an exchange. This is a, you yeah. do this. And then, you know, I, I do this. I give you flowers. Mm -hmm. You know, I give you this and then you give me sex. Yeah. There's actually a word for that when we exchange something <laughs> for sex. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it seems quite fitting. That view of sex mm -hmm. feels quite fitting. And it also makes it sound like having sex with him is no bigger deal than him shelling out some money for some roses. Yes. Which right. I think exactly. really misunderstands what sex means. Exactly. It's so much deeper than just an exchange. It's so mm -hmm. much, it's so, it's so much, it's a spirituality. It's a connection. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. meeting God, the Imago Dei in the face of the other. Yeah. This is not just you do this and I'll do this. Yeah. Now I do want to say that like, you know, I'm a big proponent of great sex. I've written 31 days to great sex, good girl's guide to great sex. Mm -hmm. I'm all about great sex. Great sex rescue is out next mm -hmm. month. Like we, I, you know, sex is great. Let's have more of it. You know, I think it's natural that people would anticipate sex on Valentine's day, on anniversaries, on birthdays, whatever, yeah. but that doesn't mean that anyone is obligated to. Yes. Because, and that's a big difference. I would say if you're in a position where you just feel like sex is off the table right now, for whatever reason, then work on that reason. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? And trust your body, mm -hmm. like, trust your body, your women's intuition, your gut knows what it can do and what it can't. And so I think what we have to do in this conversation is talk about the propensity of male entitlement mm -hmm. over women's bodies, especially yeah. in, in with Christian men. I actually think it's worse. There's this deeper thing that, that says I am, and as the husband, it's even, even more so, I am entitled to my wife's body. Mm -hmm. And like, what, what is that? What is that about? Like, where did that message come from? Because that is so rooted in a toxic non-honoring uh, mm -hmm. view of sexuality. Yeah, I think, you know, and a lot of people will point to 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, right, mm -hmm. where it says that, you know, the wife's body does not belong to her, but the husband, the husband's body does not mm -hmm. belong to him, but to the wife. Although actually the, right. it's, it's flipped. So the husband's body belonging to her, I think is mentioned first, which is interesting okay. in and of itself. Right. You know, but people will point to that and say, therefore I'm entitled, but that passage was not about entitlement. Yes. That passage was actually about mutuality. Exactly. Because, because everything that's given to one is given to the other. And it right. paints this picture of sex, which is very mutual. And yet we've right. taken it and made it into an entitlement. And as soon as we do that, as exactly. we're talking about in this podcast, we kill women's libidos and women's ability Boom. to orgasm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And not to mention using verses like that as weapons mm -hmm. to manipulate it's a misrepresentation of God, of scripture. And if you don't address, uh, and I talk about it in my book, if you don't address 
the entitlement piece, right? Let me, let me just read this, this one part here. And this is from the uh, sexually healthy man. That book? Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. I will exactly. put a link in the podcast post that goes along with this podcast to that book. So you can check it out. Here you go. Right. Go ahead, Andrew. So, <laughs> so basically, yeah, perfect plug. Basically, porn has taught us, right? We spend so much of our lives getting sex on demand, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And porn literally then gets into our minds. It's a pornographic mindset. Then it creates a pornographic style of relating. So we relate to our wives much like we have with pornography. Mm-hmm. And, and so why, why isn't my wife just ready for sex on demand? Mm-hmm. That's what I've been doing much of my you know, early adolescence, mm-hmm. adulthood. So it's like mm-hmm. she becomes a porn replacement. Yeah. Uh, and so I feel this entitlement to her body that really is, is completely pornographic and completely dishonors her body and who God made her to be. Yeah, because sex is a wonderful thing. We should be having lots of sex in marriage. It is really intimate. But when we see it in this shallow way, then we actually shouldn't be having sex because that's not real sex. What that is, it's one-sided intercourse. It's not making love. And and Yeah, it's not shared, mm -hmm. right? It's like good Mm -hmm. sex is shared sex. It's mutual giving and and receiving pleasure. Mm -hmm. It's not just coming out of this male view of my orgasm first, mm-hmm. my pleasure first. That is a selfish view of sex. And that's actually one thing that I, I, I wanted to address too really quickly is this idea mm-hmm. that she isn't going to want to have sex on Valentine's Day. First of all, is highly problematic because it assumes that she has no libido and he has a huge one, which is not exactly. necessarily true in many marriages. Exactly. One with a higher libido wondering why he doesn't want sex on Valentine's Day. But the exactly. other issue is the response to women's lower libidos so often is to tell women you need to have sex as opposed to asking why yes. is it that she doesn't want to? Yes. Will you have the humility to be curious about what's going on for her? Mm-hmm. About if she's not desiring sex, why? What is it in her story? Mm-hmm. What is it in, in the actual act of sex? Maybe mm-hmm. she's not getting, getting an organ. Maybe she's not actually connecting with you. Maybe she feels like an object to you. Yeah. Why would she want to have sex if she feels like porn replacement? Exactly. That's not enjoyable. (laughs) Exactly. So I think what I would give, tell me if you think this is a healthy message for Valentine's Day then, Andrew, is I would say, you know what? Your marriage is amazing. Here's a day to celebrate wherever your marriage is at. And if your marriage is at a great place, you know, or even a good place, we hope you have a wonderful time in bed. This is a great opportunity to take longer than usual, really explore each other and have fun. But if your marriage isn't in a great place, then take that time. Maybe this is your prompting to figure out why so that you can get back to that great place where you can truly enjoy yourself and have amazing passion. Exactly. Well said. Yes. And I think for, for men, like we have to begin to line up our bodies, our emotions with our bodies. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you've been fighting with your wife, if you've been like, you're not going to don't use sex as a pacifier mm-hmm. to a difficult, you know, uh, fight. Like, no, your body has to line up with your emotions. Mm-hmm. And so like, don't just use sex as an outlet in that way. Mm-hmm. Actually connect with your wife, actually apologize, actually sit down at the table and, and then begin to build that emotional connection. So then your body lines up with where your heart is at. Mm-hmm. And remember everybody, as we've been saying all podcast, obligation sex is never sexy. So there you go. <laughs> Amen. I want to bring another reader question on, and this mm-hmm. one didn't actually come in to me. No. I saw this on another Facebook page. This question was asked, 
and it had hundreds of responses before I chimed in. But a woman sent in a question saying, my husband has a much higher sex drive than me. If he had his way, we'd have sex every day. Anyway, he had his hormones levels checked for a different health reason, and the doctor said his testosterone levels are super low. He now takes testosterone, and he wants it even more, like multiple times a day. I don't feel like this is realistic expectations. What do I do? I hate being the one that is always saying no, but he is always touching me, and it feels suffocating. Mm-hmm. The majority of the comments were on how to negotiate this and how to talk to him about it and how to understand his sexual needs and help him to understand your sexual needs. One particularly problematic comment was someone who said, I'm going to ask this, was his sex drive higher than yours before you got married? Because if it was, you have no right to complain now that Mm -hmm. he's the man that you married. Mm -hmm. But I want to point out something that she said. So she said that she's been saying no And then he keeps, he's always touching her and it feels suffocating. Yep. Anytime something feels suffocating, I have a hard time believing that's consensual. And if she has said no. And so I commented and I said, you know, consent is a thing even in marriage. If you have said no, if you have said, I do not want you touching me and he continues to touch you, that is a form of assault. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't feel the way, and I know that's a really heavy word to use on this. And I'm not saying you should call the police just because you grabbed your boob, but if it is continuous, <laughs> okay, this is actually a problem. Yeah, because this is the thing about abuse in marriage is often abuse in marriage is a bunch of small things that in themselves do not raise red flags, but when you put them together over a long period of time, it's really, really bad. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like how a drip, a single drip of water can slowly wear a hole in a rock. And so that's why we need to be very careful when we read comments like this and hear stuff like this where a woman's saying, he wants sex multiple times a day. I am feeling suffocated. Is she being honored? Is Mm -hmm. she being dignified? And is she being respected? Mm -hmm. Because those don't lead to feelings of suffocation and like you're being pawed at all the time. You know, in our book, we looked at the 13 best-selling evangelical resources Um, plus some extra ones, but we put those through our rubric. And then we also looked at the best-selling secular resource, which Mm -hmm. was John Gottman's Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Gottman was the only person, the only author in all of our evangelical resources that used the word consent. Okay, this is just not a word in our evangelical resources. I do need to say in my sex books, I've always used the word consent, but obviously my books were not part of our survey. Yeah, would have been a little bit biased. Mm -hmm. But... consent is the missing piece. And I want to, I want to read to you a comment that came in to the blog just this week. A woman said, I grew up with purity teachings, a heavy focus on obeying and submitting to authority figures without question and absolutely no concept of consent. We've been married for 11 years and always understood that getting married includes giving consent, but the whole flirting, sexy, touching, groping thing just wasn't working. There was so much misunderstanding and disappointment and confusion. We've been sorting through past bad teaching, and I realized I had never really experienced agency over my own body growing up and had never been allowed to say yes or no. And that's such a problematic thing. It really is. You know, especially when girls are taught that they're stumbling blocks for boys, we just, we feel like we don't have agency over our body. Mm -hmm. In light of that, my husband determined he would make an effort to have consent be more explicit in our relationship. It has really helped me feel safe, loved, and seen because he knows this is an area of wounding in me and he can give this gift to help me heal. Rather than just touching some intimate part of my body when he wants to, or wanting to but feeling like he can't, he lets me know that he wants to touch it and I can give him the go-ahead or let him know that it wouldn't feel good right now. 
We have found a lot of perks to this. I don't pull away from his touch anymore, leaving him confused. He understands me better. He doesn't play an internal guessing game anymore. I no longer have to wonder what a touch actually means, and it is much hotter and more romantic. This has invited sexy whispers and teasing and lots of stuff unlike what we did before. I'm sure consent won't need to be so explicit forever. It will fade as we learn each other and heal, but it has made a world of difference in this season. And it's so great to hear these stories of husbands who hear their wives have like deep wounding in this area or they have, you know, hangups in this area and they think, oh, well, no brainer. I guess we just really work on consent because that's what it should be, right? It should be a no brainer. And you know, in a lot of marriages where there aren't these hangups, you don't need that explicit consent mm -hmm. forever. Yep. You know, at some point, you do kind of have this implicit yes unless you say no once you're in a healthy relationship in marriage, once you're healthy sexually, you are really secure in each other, mm -hmm. there's built up trust, you know, you can just kind of have fun and flirt and grab at each other a little bit more. But until you're at that point, it's not an inconvenience or a bad thing to have to work on this explicitly. Yeah. And that can be a freeing thing. And for some people, that might be how it is the rest of your marriage. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And this is what we found. Okay, guys yeah. who are listening, you need to understand this. The key to women wanting sex is to feel like they're freely choosing it. Yes. And as soon as they don't feel like they're freely choosing it, they're not going to want sex. And so this whole... It's okay if he paws at you and grabs at you and no. you just need to get used to that. No, th that freaks women out, a lot of women. And yeah, and again, some women know that's yeah. not the case. You know, for some women, they actually like the whole, oh, you just grabbed me out of nowhere thing. Yeah. We hear that a lot from the comments too. But you have to make sure that the basis of consent and trust is there and you cannot mm -hmm. assume it is. Well, that's what we learned in our surveys. You cannot assume it is. And we just need a better way of talking about this. And yeah. the better way of talking about it, like Andrew said, is to remember that sex is intimate. Mm -hmm. It is not just letting him ejaculate. There was a wonderful Twitter thread that was put out that I saw it went viral by a man named Benjamin Young. I want to read you that thread and then I'm going to have Ben on to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So here is his thread. We need to talk about a husband respecting his wife's no. I know it's an uncomfortable subject, but sex should be a beautiful, wonderful thing. But it certainly can't be when a wife's participation in the sexual exchange centers a man's pleasure. Guys, she doesn't owe you sex. That's not how this works. The heart of a servant, the one Jesus gives me in sanctification, doesn't exit the building when things get steamy. Demanding is not okay. Guilt tripping is not okay. Weaponizing is not okay. I must be willing to love her more than what I want in every circumstance. Marriage doesn't erase the potential of rape. Non-consensual sex doesn't become okay because y'all exchanged rings. In fact, you'd think the vows married couples make to each other would make the idea even more unthinkable. So no means no, even in marriage, because Jesus doesn't condone self-centered manipulation, coercion, or domination in anything. But no also means no beyond the sheets. No means no when she says she doesn't want to go to that party, when she doesn't want to invite those guests, when she doesn't want to work at home, when she doesn't want to work outside the home, when she doesn't want you to take that job either. No means no when she doesn't want to be around your toxic family, when she doesn't want to be around hers, when she doesn't want to watch that show, when she doesn't want to listen to that song. No means no when she doesn't want to talk about it, when she doesn't want to put off talking about it, when she doesn't want you to go, when she doesn't want you to stay. Am I advocating that men be dominated or that they enable abusive and controlling behavior? 
Uh, no, but that's a convenient pendulum swing past my point, which is this. She is her own person and that doesn't change just because you're married. If it isn't voluntary, then it isn't love. Love appeals, but love never forces. Love desires, most of all, real love in return. And if it was coerced, then it's not real. And if you're okay with that, then it was never love you wanted after all. Mm-hmm. And now let's bring Benjamin on to tell us why he wrote that thread. Okay, so I am bringing on Benjamin Young now that I found on Twitter with that awesome thread. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? So uh, I go by Benjamin or BJ, and I really got onto Twitter because I wanted to try to cultivate community with educators and also with people who were involved in Christian ministry and Bible teaching. My platform, I guess you could call it, is Guard the Gift. And my intention is trying to connect church leadership and people aspiring to grow in Bible teaching to educators who have experience actually doing that for a living so that our practices in the church can be more informed by people who have actual experience and expertise in effective and engaging educational practices. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, my I love that day. so much because that I've been on this big um, uh, soapbox for the last, I don't know how many years, talking about how it's, it's kind of the same thing, but from a different angle, talking about how we really need to make sure that the people who are giving marriage advice and sex advice actually <laughs> are informed of the best research and best practices as opposed to just, you know being a pastor who hasn't actually read about this. So I'm totally on board with you there. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> Very much the same idea. Okay. So you wrote this awesome thread. Can you give us like what, what made you sit down and decide we really need to talk about consent? Well, it was prompted by a, a tweet that I read and the sister who originally had started talking about it was approaching it from the standpoint of seeing early warning signs during dating that mm -hmm. a man wouldn't respect a no across the board by not respecting a no in a certain instance. And so things that might seem innocuous, like I couldn't have time to work on school, even though it was really important or whatever, that man, whoever he was, however he was, was going to be the same guy when you got married. And those mm -hmm. tendencies to to be pushy and to be self-centered and to be authoritarian or, or what, what have you, that those were early red flags to let you know, hey, this is what you're signing up for with this guy. Originally, I had just intended to quote tweet that. And I said, uh, this is so important. If a man feels entitled to steamroll a woman's no in something that's indicative of a larger character corruption that undoubtedly will manifest in other areas as well. And no isn't just about sex. And yes, it still matters when you're married. And I was going to leave it at that. And that's pretty much how it is on Twitter with me. I tend to leave it at that. And then I go and talk to my wife. And then I come back and then write like some 15 to 20 <laughs> tweet thread afterwards. Basically, it stems from two things for me. One, 
it stems from a lot of the unhealthy teaching that my wife and I grew up hearing that we deconstructed in, we've been married for almost six years now in the first couple of years of our marriage that really, and this is a conversation perhaps for another time, but I really think enables verbal and emotional at the very least neglect and abuse from men because there's no accountability. This role that it is my job as the man to make the decisions and to do the thing and it's just her job to go along to get along is something that if you if you just kind of step back and you think about it, what else could that lead to? You're basically saying that the man has no accountability and that the wife has no advocacy in the marriage relationship. So we realized that that didn't work. And a lot of that also stemmed from the fact that when we first got married, um, my wife, Amy and I, in a lot of ways, I was a jerk, (laughs) you know? And so as I changed and as we talked about that and what it really meant, what it really meant to be a loving husband, it led me to, to revisit some, some, some passages in the Bible that I had heard taught growing up that I started to teach very differently. And perhaps the main one is Ephesians 5. And, and so many authors will, will, will want to go to that passage and talk about the roles in very, you know, modernistic complementarian terms. And the man needs respect and the woman needs love. And, you know, the man has authority and the woman submits. Missing the entire point, and I think this started maybe a few years ago, and I, I actually preached on it, and I have a tendency to deviate from what I'm, what I'm preaching on and, and, and say things in the moment. And I started to address, as I was preaching through this passage, and I started to address, I got to that, that idea of, of, of submission and stuff, and I just stopped the lesson and addressed the women in the audience and said, I'm sorry that this is probably a super triggering thing when this comes up. How can you think about this passage divorced from, no pun intended, but divorced from the ways that women have been abused and neglected and oppressed and then had this passage thrown in their faces to say, and this is the way that God would have it. And I didn't think that it was honest or fair or considerate to keep having these conversations, especially in in faith communities, ignoring the historical and the cultural baggage that comes along with them. And the more I began to dig into that though, the more I realized that that's not even what the passage teaches anyway. (laughs) That if Paul is to mean anything at all about what my wife does, she never does it first. (laughs) That's the point. I think that that's the point. If, if my marriage, just like my life, is supposed to exemplify the grace and the love and the gospel, then what I'm actually saying as a man is, I sign up to hurt the most. Mm-hmm. I sign up to make the first sacrifice. I sign up to put whatever it is that I would want off to love her more and to make her feel more nourished and cherished and and things like that. And realizing, yeah, duh, if you did that, 
your wife probably wouldn't have so much of an issue with you, you jerk. So, you know, it's, <laughs> but that's not the way when we grew up that we, we heard that. And so when it comes to the sexual relationship, I think that that gets also tied to this tendency for Christians to compartmentalize their Christianity. And the fact is, I'm sorry, like, I don't cease being sanctified between the sheets. Like, I still am supposed to be the person that I am. And I know that conversation tends to be an uncomfortable one. But unfortunately, what what that means is, because pastors don't talk about it, because parents don't talk about it, then men and women grow up and, and no one tells them, hey, just so you know, you still have to not be a selfish jerk when you're having sex with your spouse. <laughs> You know, and, and it just That's makes going sense. on a quote graphic for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it just makes sense, but but that's not the way that that it that it's encouraged. And so to be sensitive on, on, on this issue, not not going to, to to ton of detail, but early on there were some common things that men and women run into when they begin trying to be sexually intimate, that it's not the way that people think it is. Mm -hmm. it, it's difficult and, and sometimes it's, it's painful and it's uncomfortable. And, mm -hmm. and the thing is, in that moment, man, you stop. If it's not helping her, if it's not no, the, 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 the goal is not for you to be pleased. The goal is for you to continue to please God by pleasing your wife. And so it's not to say that, you know, now the man just like kowtows and everything. Because I, I could see someone saying that. It's like, well, are you saying that the man has to now submit to his wife? It's like, well, you do. But that's another story. But but what I'm what I'm saying is that if I really loved my wife, why would I want her to hurt? Yeah, this is very yeah. simple. If I really loved my wife, why would I why would I push her to do something that I know is making her uncomfortable or that I know she doesn't appreciate? And, and I think a lot of it just comes down to being indiscriminate in the application of the idea of loving my, my wife is still my neighbor. You know, I, I, I love my neighbor as myself. And that includes my wife. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't want to be pushed into something that I'm uncomfortable with. Matter of fact, I, the more people try to push me to do something, usually the less and less that I want. Yeah. to to do that you know and so in 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 talking about consent and i guess to tie the two things together the original tweet had to do with those early warning signs and i guess you could you could think of it as consent and sex is important including in the marriage relationship and i would argue even more so like you have vowed to love this person you took an oath before god and before people that you would love her like there's no tomorrow you got to make good on that promise from day to day. And the way to do that, I think, is to use all of those other instances as conditioning. So in the heat of the moment, how am I going to know that I am going to default to favoring her and, and prioritizing her? Well, if I've conditioned and trained myself like an athlete in all those other instances, that becomes my second nature. So things that seem to be not so important. Like maybe I need to stop always listening to my music 
and listen to hers. Maybe I need to stop always watching what I want to watch on TV and watch what she wants. Maybe I need to get my butt up off the couch and go get her that thing that she wants from the store, even though I'd rather sit there playing video games or whatever, because those things train me so that in the moment when there's that tug between, yeah, but I'd rather do this. Yeah, but the last 160 times I did <laughs> what she would have preferred so I can do it one more time. Yeah. That's where I'm coming from. And I know it's been a journey. And I think lest I, I give the wrong impression to some people, the reason I'm so hard on husbands is because I feel like for the first several years of our marriage, I failed as one. And there's only so many times that you can watch your wife cry or you can have your wife come to you and say, I don't feel seen. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like you're here. Before you start to realize, like, look, dude, you have a choice. You can either buck up and like be humble and get your, you know, get your act together or maybe just admit that you really weren't prepared for this in the first place and you don't really care about her as much as you'd like to convince yourself that you do. And I remember an older mentor of mine saying, it's like, look, as a guy, you got to get your stuff together. But the fact is when you enter that relationship and then when you bring kids into to, to the picture, your wife and your kids don't deserve to deal with your baggage. Yeah, I mean, they have to, and eventually you still have to sort it out, but it's best that you learn that as early on as possible. And so, you know, yes, I, I, I address that to, to husbands when I talk to husbands, but I'd much rather get that burned in the brain of young men before it's like, before you do this, man, like do it right. Like no pun intended, but like, like, like <laughs> make sure that you're committed to loving your wife and being open to be corrected because the fact is it's like it's not a it's not a formulaic thing it's not a template thing it's not me as a husband me learning to dwell with understanding with my wife that literally changes from marriage to marriage you can't yeah. you there is no one size fits all for that I mean there are principles that guide that the fact is it's like you have to listen to your wife to figure yeah. out what her needs are and what she wants to know how to love her you'd want the same for you yeah well thank you so much you know I think that probably there are a lot of people listening to this for whom that is just so life-giving everything that you've just said and so encouraging yeah I've been I've been saying a lot of this stuff for years but it is so wonderful to hear it from a young guy and <laughs> and so you know I think you're giving us a lot of hope this is amazing and uh I love how you you picked up on so many things that I've been talking about as well. So I feel like this is really a God thing that I found you. And uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Thanks for thanks for calling guys out. Thanks for standing up. Sure. And thanks for being so humble about yourself too, because we're all in this together. None of us is perfect. And the more that we share our struggles, I think the more people will realize, hey, it's okay to not be perfect. And growth is the main thing. <laughs> I need yeah. to be growing towards Jesus. And yeah. if we're not growing, we have a problem. And so that means none of us is perfect and we got to talk about this stuff. So exactly. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks yeah, so much. Thank you. So good. He was so inspiring. 
I love him. I'm going to have to have him back again. <laughs> I love how he speaks right to that generation. Such an important, such an important voice. You know, as, as we're wrapping up today, we just want to invite you again to join our great sex rescue launch team. That sounds a lot scarier than it actually is. In order to join the team, all you're saying is that you're going to write a review, a heartfelt review somewhere, like either on Amazon or Goodreads or somewhere. Um, but when you join, you get access to the book right away. Like yeah. you can start reading it today. So all you have to do is pre-order the book and then send us your receipt. We're going to leave the link how you do that right in the podcast description and, in the po- and everything that goes along with this podcast. So just pre-order it, send us your receipt and you're going to get an invitation to the Facebook group. And there's just been so much great interaction on the Facebook group. I'm on there all the time now. We've done several Facebook lives. We've been getting some great comments back that have been so encouraging as well. Um, One woman wrote, I'm about four chapters in and soaking in everything I'm reading. This book reads like a best friend over coffee and I don't want the conversation to end. Thank you for meeting women where they are. And I'm carving time more out of my day to sit and read. So mm-hmm. that that was just so encouraging. And so many people have told us that they were crying, especially at chapter four, <laughs> how they wish more books talked about sex and marriage like this. So please pre-order and come join us. There's already 400 people there. And it's, it's just a super fun place to be. We're going to close off the launch team early next week. So this is your chance to come on over. So please do that. And... Before we go, I just want to tell you a bit of my story because this obligation sex message, this is the one that messed me up. You don't even need to stay here for this. Okay. You can you can go. Sounds good. <laughs> Bye. You know, before I was married, I was seriously looking forward to sex. I was counting down the days to my wedding and it was really counting down the days to w- the wedding night. And I was excited about that. Keith and I were still virgins, but we were very breathless. I really had a very high sex drive. And then somebody gave me the act of marriage. And this was back in 1991. And I read the book in the bathtub, which is where I did most of my reading. And by about two thirds of the way through, I was, I felt my body physically change. And all I can think of at the time, the the phrase that kept going through my head was nobody has the right to do that to me unless I allow it. Like nobody has the right to do that to me. And what I was reacting to was all the stuff in the book about how you're not allowed to say no, how he owns your body. And remember, I was looking forward to sex. Like I was seriously excited about this. I was really struggling to wait. This was not something that I was dreading. I did not have any shameful feelings about sex. Like I full blown wanted it in every sense of the word, but my body went icy cold And I just felt nobody has the right to do that to me without me saying yes. And that's what this book told me. And so by two thirds of the way through, I drown it. I I held that book under the water until it died. And then I plopped it unceremoniously into the garbage. And it wasn't until 29 years later, when we were doing this survey, that I understood how much that book affected me. Because when we were first married, I had a horrible case of vaginismus. I've shared that in in my other books. I've shared that on the blog, but I had real sexual pain. And I felt like I had to muscle through because Keith needed sex so much. And it wasn't fair of me to say no, even with the pain, because I would be depriving him and I would be in sin. And he needed it in a way that I could never understand because that's what these books told me. And so I told myself, you don't matter. 
you don't matter, Sheila. And that messed me up, seriously. And then in those days, we didn't have pelvic floor physiotherapists. So they took me to a doctor and the doctor told me this was all in my head, that probably I just had real shame about sex. And again, I didn't. I honestly didn't. I was. I had been looking forward to sex. But what he was going to do was he was going to put me in stirrups naked, and then he was going to touch all these different parts of me with a mirror so that I could watch. And he would name all these body parts so that I would stop feeling shame. And I ran out of that examining room. I'm actually very proud of myself that I did that. (laughs) But I ran out of that examining room because I didn't want someone else to touch me without me saying yes. (laughs) And this obligation sex message really messes people up. And again, I didn't realize how this was the root of a lot of my problems early in my marriage until we took a look at the survey and we saw so many people's stories that were almost the same as mine. And I got over it. And the reason that I got over it is because my husband and I just grew in such love for each other. And we just went through so much with our son dying and all kinds of other things that sex stopped hurting because I could trust him. And I knew that he truly loved me. And that was what it took. But when we keep telling women, you don't have agency over your body, you don't have a choice, you need to give him release, stop being selfish, then we tell women they don't matter. And if sex is a deep knowing, then women need to matter too. And when we tell women that, when we allow women to matter, we actually open up women's sexuality and we make sex better for everyone. So we're not here trying to make sure that people don't have to have sex. That's not the point. What we're trying to figure out is how to help people have a healthy sex life where they both want it. Because if she doesn't want it, then no good man should want it either. So pick up the great sex rescue. It honestly, I'm hoping it will change the whole conversation about sex so that we can get to healthy sex. Join us on the great sex rescue launch team and join us next week for another edition of our bear marriage podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.